Good morning. Welcome to worship at Northminster. Whether you're here in person in our sanctuary or joining us on our YouTube channel, we're so glad that you all are here. If this is your first time here or your hundredth, please feel free to participate in all aspects of our worship service this morning. For all of us, our first gift to God this morning is our presence here. To acknowledge your presence, and if you're comfortable doing so, if you would sign the attendance register you'll find on the, uh, the hymn book holder on the inside aisle, uh, and we would appreciate that so much. We're thankful, as always, to Marilyn Decker for the beautiful arrangement of flowers on our communion table this morning. And as usual, after the service, if you would like to, please come and feel free to take some of the flowers to brighten yours or someone else's week. And as always, please review the insert in the order of worship or check out our newsletter for other announcements and opportunities. We welcome Reverend Dr. James Lamkin back to Northminster as our pulpit guest and worship leader this morning. Uh, James was with us in October and, I might say, is back by popular demand. <laughs> he recently retired, well, over a year ago now, huh, James, as pastor, senior pastor at Northside Drive Baptist Church in Atlanta, where he served for 24 years, or about 24 years. James's history with Northminster goes back a long way to our beginning, actually. When Northminster was founded in 1989, James was director of pastoral care at Rapids uh, Regional Medical Center in Alexandria. And during th the three years prior to Dr. Gaddy's calling as our first pastor, Dr. Gaddy sitting back there with Judy, James preached frequently at Northminster, uh, first at our temporary home at Temple B'nai Israel, and then uh, here in our sanctuary upon its completion in 1991. James is married to Liz Harris Lampkin, a retired hospital and military chaplain, and their wedding, and I've told you all this before, uh, in February of 1992 occurred here in our sanctuary uh, and was actually the first wedding to occur uh, here. James has a son and a daughter and two granddaughters and two grandsons, all of whom he is justly proud he and Liz currently live in Atlanta, but they, or maybe more exactly Liz, is uh, renovating a, a, their family home, actually her mother's home, in Asheville, North Carolina, where they intend to move uh, uh, whenever the home is completed. Uh, Liz is sort of the general contractor, so she's very much busily uh, dealing with that home. Uh, James, we continue to wish you and Liz, a happy retirement, and we welcome you again to Northminster. And also now I'm happy to introduce Cynthia Rodriguez, who will bring our minute for missions. Cynthia. For our trunk in February, we will be contributing to one of 20-ish important programs that the Children's Coalition operates. It's called Early Head Start, which focuses on children zero to three. Uh, this is a federally funded program in, designed to help break the poverty cycle and enrich the community and its children. 
Uh, parents must go to school or work full-time and take their children to doctor's appointments, dentist appointments, get checkups, and all those kind of things, in addition to getting enriched child care. So how this works is the federal government pays 50% of the grant funds required to operate the program, and the other 50% has to come from the community. And it's just a way in which the community has to embrace this program in order for it to be here. So um, in your bulletin, there's a few things that we are looking to collect. And these things will support um, our program. Um, there's also volunteer opportunities and other ways in which we meet that 50% match. Uh, but do check out the Children's Coalition online or on Facebook if you have an opportunity to see all of their amazing programs. Thank you. Thank you, Cynthia, and thank you, Craig. Whenever we gather for worship, it is always at the intersection of memory and hope. As we gather today, we collect around two scriptures. One will be from the New Testament gospel, which I'll be preaching from. So as you listen to it read, pay attention to the nuances and movements and twists and turns in, in the text. The sermon title will be Christian Discipleship in Three Easy Lessons. I was asked in the office, couldn't it be reduced to two? <laughs> it started out as four, but knowing you like I do, I got it down to three. But the first lesson we'll hear from is Isaiah 6, which is that beautiful text in the Old Testament about worship. It's really the marching orders of Northminster Church and also the dancing invitation. You'll hear in it the, uh, the writer Isaiah sees the awareness of God, the praise for God, then confession, then forgiveness, and then commission to go and serve, just as you do every week. And we'll sing about it in a moment with holy, holy, holy. But at this time, join me and being called to worship by reading responsively. We gather to worship and to feast on and rejoice in the refreshing, reinvigorating, rejuvenating power of the Holy Spirit. We come with many and varied burdens. We offer them together for all to share and to sing our praises. God calls every one of us to be disciples. Here you will find release from your fears and relief from your exhaustion. God's abundant feast fills our souls and strengthens us to do this work. Let us worship God, who supplies our needs, rests us in green pastures, restores our souls, and goes forth with us to finish the journey. Thanks be to God.
A reading from Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw God sitting on a throne, high and lofty, whose robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the God of hosts. The whole earth is full of God's glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the God of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of God saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And God said, Go, and say this to the people. Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull, and stop their ears and shut their eyes, so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O God? God answered, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate until I send everyone far away and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. Even if a tenth part remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth tree or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. God's revelation and calling for an ancient prophet. Thanks be to God.
On our way to prayer, we name names and we name needs. We do so as did the psalmists in their poetry, and we do so as the uh, Apostle Paul did in his epistles. Some of these are listed in your order of service. We pray in particular for the pastor search committee as they continue to search for Northminster's next pastor. We pray for D.H. Clark's cousin's wife caused an acute illness. We pray for Missy, the daughter of Frank and Marianne Wilcox, due to a blood clot on her brain. We pray for Northminster's partner church, which is already in your hearts and has been for a long time in Cuba. And so now, let us bow and say our prayers. All loving God, we pause in worship to catch our breath. Because each breath we take and every blessing we have come as gifts from your good hand. Like old Isaiah, we come routinely into a building, but miraculously it turns into a sanctuary. Because it is here we sense your presence and your expansive presence through the song of the organ pipes, through the sound of the piano strings, through the harmony of the choir's voices, the beauty of the flowers, and this congregation's concert of mission gifts. Holy, 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 Lord. And yet with our hearts full of praise and all your grace, all of this can leak out in only seven days. And so we have to come again today and ask for a refilling. We bootleg off of Isaiah's confession. We are people of unclean lips and dwell among a people of unclean lips. Where there's a big lie and there are small lives. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, O oh God, for your forgiveness, we pray, and your healing, we need. We need it for ourselves, for our family, for our friends, for leaders, for followers. We are people who've come here fretting, but we are also people who have come here faithfully. Truly, it is good to be in the Lord's house and catch our breath. And in Christ's name, amen. of Luke. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. He asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. 
When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were there with him were amazed at the catch of fish that had, they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who are partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thank you for the gift of music. Always beautiful. Now it's been said that every 500 years, every 500 years, God has a rummage sale. <laughs> have you heard that? You've probably heard that. If you have heard that, you need to hear it again. If you hadn't heard it, you need to hear it now. About every 500 years, God has a rummage sale. It was said by uh, a prolific author, theologian, Phyllis Tickle, died uh, just a few years ago. But she said that when you think about it, that these things tend to go in cycles, and it's about every 500 years. It never feels good, I don't think, but it happens. As you think about it, around 500, all of the uh, the creeds have been written, the credos were in place, councils have met, even the Second Council of Constantinople, around 500. But then around 1,000, the Eastern Church, the Eastern Orthodox, separates from the Roman Catholic Church. And then 1,500, somebody named Henry needed a divorce. <laughs> and uh, a lot of other things, and so a divorce happened between the Anglican Church and the Catholic Church. Also, it was about that time, 1517, that uh, there was this knock, knock, knocking on the castle church door of Wittenberg, Germany. Somebody said, oh, it's just a priest and nothing more. But it was the drumbeat that started or participated in the Reformation. Let's see, 500, 1,050, 2,022, isn't it? Which means we're overdue. And which means when you look around, you'll see that I think God is out in the churchyard hammering down a garage sale sign. And at these times of rummage, you know what happens. 
the things that we place high value on, that we've worded well, worked for well, the stuff that we have, suddenly the price gets inverted in the yard sale. I'll give you a dollar for that, and we have $10 on it, and we go, okay, we'll take it. Something like that happens in these changes. It doesn't feel good. It's like me trying to give my brown furniture to my kids. And they don't want it. It's a change. And so the same here with this rummage sale idea. This has been on my mind because I worry a lot about the church, about the American church in particular. And having pastored for a good many years, there's plenty to worry about. But on one hand, it may be, it may be God's doing. As painful as that feels of these changes that we're going through, some of it God is to blame. And part of that is a grace word to each of us who work so hard to do so much for church that, uh, that God is at work and maybe some things need undone. Well, I was thinking about all of these complex forces that are at work in our lives from, this, from God's perspective, from a pandemic perspective, from the state of our politics to the global climate, all of these things felt very heavy and complex to me. And so I came to this gospel lesson, and I thought, well, I wonder if there's anything simple here. Maybe that I usually make complex, but I can look at through simple lenses today and share with you. And that's how I came up with Christian discipleship in three easy lessons. Um, maybe you'll disagree. Maybe not. Here they are. Number one, see what you think. Number one, start where you are, not where you're not. I apologize for the double negative, you English majors. But it sort of sharpens a pencil point. Start where you are, not where you're not. Seems like a lot of what we do in church and vocation and life is always setting these goals, these objectives, these visions. And all of that's noble and all of that's important. Um, you need to do that. But we can live so much in the future and judge ourselves in the present by what we wish we were that we overlook what God is doing with us and among us today. Start where you are, not where you're not. That's what Jesus and Simon Peter did in that story that was read a moment ago. That here was Jesus needing a place to preach. People were almost pushing him into the Sea of Galilee. Ask Simon Peter, can I borrow your boat? Okay. Sits in the boat. He preaches the sermon. And then he turns to Simon Peter and says, push out in the deep, let down your nets, there you'll find a catch. I find it interesting, here Jesus preaches this sermon and it doesn't even get recorded. It's not even important to the gospel writer, which is insulting. Uh, <laughs> but there it is. The sermon's not mentioned, but this word to Simon Peter is, this is what you do, I ask this of you, this thing where you already are. Maybe Simon was even sitting in the boat with Jesus. He was cleaning his net, mending the net, some of the other gospels, and they're telling him the story. And then Peter says to Jesus, Master, we have toiled all night, and we have caught nothing. Now, one of my disappointments in the Bible is that it leaves out any reference, most of the time, to inflection and to gestures, you know, or to a shrug 
of the body or the pacing of the words. Don't these things communicate as much as words on the page do? But we don't know how the words are often said. Maybe that's intentional so we can use our imagination or fill in our voice to it. That's what Peter said. Master, we fished all night and caught nothing. I doubt he said it like that. I think I would have said it like, first I would have started with a long sigh. <sighs> and then I would have looked at Jesus and thought, now here's a former carpenter giving advice to me, a professional fisherman. He doesn't know what this is. I know what this is. <sighs> a big sigh. And then maybe stare at the horizon, stare at the empty nets, feel the pain in the neck and the ache in the back and just look at Jesus and say master we we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing <laughs> you know or it just came out monotone we have fished all night and caught nothing I'm married I've had both of those things said to me with that inflection I'm sure Peter unloaded somehow, gets it said, and gets, gets, that, gets that out. What, what I hear is weariness, exhaustion, fatigue. We have labored all night and have caught nothing. Why was he weary? Well, all of us who fish know that there's fishing and there's catching. Those are two different things, turns out. <laughs> A lot of times I've been fishing. But I always didn't do the catching. Well, he fished all night. There was no catching, and that breaks the heart of the fisherman. Or maybe he was a, another disappointed, caught-in-the-middle DOD contractor. <laughs> if you read Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan, they exegete well the militarization of the industry around the Sea of Galilee. This occupying army had to be fed something. And so between the masters of the, what was needed to feed them and the taxes that the fishermen had to pay on the boats, on the nets, on the catches, on all of that, here was Simon Peter and uh, maybe the Zebedee co-op <laughs> caught in the middle trying to live this life. Maybe some of you know that. It's what a way to make a living, you know. Thank you, Dolly Parton. <laughs> Maybe that was what helped make him weary. The chapter before, it has Jesus walking through uh, Simon Peter's hometown. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and Jesus heals him. Now, some of you know what it's like to live with illness and, and chronic illness in the family and what it's like to be a caretaker, not just a caregiver, and how many cares are laid on your back. Maybe that was it as well. There were several reasons for his weariness, I think. And by the way, where does your weariness come from? Most of us came through those doors this day with weariness on our shoulders and in our hearts. Maybe it's from the pandemic that now we're in the second year of change and shutdown. Maybe just from wearing those masks that fog up our glasses. Maybe it's that you've been struggling for justice about voting rights and you fished all night and caught nothing. I live in Georgia and that's one of our weary points. 
or you have been struggling on the front line of racial conversation, race, America's original sin, that you've been on the forefront of Black Lives Matter and all of the layers that hold that down economically, educationally, legally, law enforcement. You have fished and worked and worked and it feels like you've caught nothing. Cuba is in your heart and you ache for the distance that has been set in place and kept in place and lobbying the houses of Washington don't seem to help. Or you serve on a church committee. <laughs> You've done time, as, as I have I. And it doesn't matter what the committee, it could be stewardship, finance, could be worship, could be uh, deacons or ministry, could be the pastor search committee. And the committee meeting was to take about an hour and about two hours you go, I think it's about time we adjourn. And you do and you pack up in the manila folders these spreadsheets uh, or job descriptions or resumes or financial statements and you walk out in the parking lot and you have part B of the, of the committee meeting. I've never, I've never seen it here, but I have a hunch it's done. I've been in many other places. Oh, and finally you get home and you say, you know, it feels like we've, we've labored all night. And sometimes it feels like we've caught nothing. No wonder this text seemed to make it into all of the Gospels, a story similar to it, because it's the church's it's the church's journal. It's the church's diary. We have felt that for 2,000 years. We've remained faithful, but yet there's a fatigue in place. Now, what Jesus asked of Peter, it depends on your Christology about this, but I suppose he could have said, Peter, are you ready to get crucified upside down? Which is how he alleged, allegedly died outside of Rome. Or he could have said, well, I'm going to ask you to go to Cornelius' house, this Gentile, because God has set a tablecloth that includes everybody. Or uh, there's going to be this garden thing where you're going to be called on and you may just deny me. Jesus could have invited him to all of that, but he, he didn't. He, he just said one thing. He didn't start where Peter would be. He started where Peter was. Start where you are not where you're not. That's lesson number one. Easy so far. Easy lesson number two, take one step, just one, toward Jesus. Take one step, just one, toward Jesus. I think there's the fulcrum of the story between the two clauses or phrases in this sentence. Peter says, Master, we've, we've labored all night and caught nothing, semicolon, and I wish there could be the record of how much of a pause there was right there. I'm guessing a long pause, another big sigh, a big, another big breath, a shaking of the head. And you know sometimes how we, 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 our body language is the opposite of what we say. Like we go, okay, I'll go to the party. <laughs> or no way will I do that. I'm guessing that, that Peter was shaking his head at Jesus and saying, all right, at your word, we will let down the nets. Another translation says, nevertheless, 
We've tried, we caught nothing, we're tired. Nevertheless, we will let down the nets. That, to me, is the fulcrum of the story. After a long sigh, sigh he takes one step toward Jesus, and that's it. You know, uh, a few years ago, I was, uh, uh, I and several others were upset about how things were going in politics. That doesn't timestamp it very well, does it? That could be, that could be yesterday, today, at any day. But I was, I was talking about in the sermon, trying to be appropriate but prophetic about it's time we do something, not just talk about the stuckness that we're in, the justice issues that we face. We need to do something. And uh, amen, <laughs> I sat down. And uh, a few weeks later, I was in fellowship hall. We were going there for a, a lunch. And one of the fellows who's a lawyer in the church named Mike, he, he's a layman, and he's one of these, uh, he was a low-maintenance parishioner. Welton, you know, those, there are low-maintenance parishioners and there are high-maintenance parishioners. Some of you know which one you are. <laughs> he was low-maintenance. So I, I, I would see him on Sundays, but he, he never asked much. Well, he comes up and he says, uh, James, I've got a story to tell you that you may be interested in. All right, Mike, what is it? He said, well, I heard what you were saying about we ought to do something. He said, I thought about that. And I thought, well, I think we, I, I think I could help with voter registration. And he said, so, uh, he's a lawyer. He said, I, I got training in that. I got certified to do that. He said, so last weekend I went to an underserved area of Atlanta. I set up a cardboard table there all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And in those two days, I registered something like 325 new voters to vote. Now, you know that in, in Georgia, a lot has been done to try to squelch uh, uh, or voter, voter suppression. This is a few years ago, but he, he, he said, I did it. I signed up 325 new voters to vote. I just want to tell you that. And he walked away. I thought, oh my God, I spend my vocation talking about things. And he really went out and did something about it. In some ways, it was a small thing, but you've heard that statement that the doors of history swing on small hinges. It was just a little, just, just Friday and Saturday, just Saturday and Sunday, 325 voters. But when the margins are that tight, that can make a huge difference. Peter, go out and put that down for a catch. Well, at thy word, we'll do so. A small hinge, but a big decision that made a big difference in his life. You do that every day. You do that as Northminster Church. You deal with life's disappointing failures and the possibilities of faithful decisions. What are those that you are struggling with and deciding right now? Not big steps, not growing the church by a thousand next week, but just one step of saying, you all come and here's how we do that. Take one step, just one, toward Jesus. That's the second easy lesson. Then here's the third. The buddy system is not optional. The buddy system is necessary. When Peter goes out and does it, I'm sure he was going, well, this is going to be a waste of time. Drops the net, starts to pull, and uh-oh, 
There's something there. Pulls more and there's more there. There's such a great catch, it says. And isn't that a great kid's story? I mean, maybe a kid kind of tugged on, on uh, the gospel writer's sleeve and said, be sure and tell that fish story in the nets. <laughs> you know, people don't want to hear all that Sermon on the Mount stuff. Tell that stuff, <laughs> tell that stuff about the net. And so, Jesus, so Peter puts down the net. And there's so many fish, he can't even get the, the net in the boat. It's too big. The boat's too little. And so Peter calls out to everybody around, hey, bring your boats, bring your help, help me get this in. In other words, to catch those fish, it didn't take a fisherman. It took a village of fishermen. The buddy system isn't optional. It's a requirement. To do Christian discipleship, it's an easy lesson, but an important lesson. Don't try this alone. We need one another. Barbara Brown Taylor has said that she passes many a church that has a sign out on the road, has the church's name, and then under it, you know what those words are, under it it says, everybody welcome. She said, really, shouldn't we put on the signs, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> because that's about as good as it gets. But it takes all of us to do about the best as we can. Forgiveness is hard. It takes all of us to do it, like, like the Amish did in 2006. Do you remember that um, Lancaster County awful mass murder where a gunman lined up 10 little girls in a schoolhouse and shot them and then turned the gun and killed himself? And then by that afternoon, the Amish community had carried food over to the shooter's family in forgiveness. I couldn't do that. Maybe you couldn't, but, but maybe if we, if we work at it together, maybe. What about our Orthodox Jewish friends observing the Sabbath, stopping everything, opening the cell phone and hitting uh, airplane mode for 24 hours? Some of you are having withdrawal, I can tell, for that. Uh, to not work. But let God be God and prayer be prayer for that. I, I couldn't do that alone, but maybe if you would help me, we could do it. Or our Muslim friends with Ramadan, to go a month without water uh, or food all day long until night from dusk till dawn, then you can eat. Can you do that by yourself? I couldn't, but together. Or Lent. Whatever discipline you serve, do in Lent, it's going to require us all sort of saying we'll do this together. Lent starts in three and a half weeks from today. Word that would send a rigor down the spine of every liturgist. Three and a half weeks. But as we walk through those 40 days, what do you need to covenant together to be able to do? How does a church like Northminster just keep on giving and giving time, and giving money, and giving heart, and giving soul, even though you get weary, but when you come in here, you feel wonder. Peter discovered, and he needed it all of his life, that this thing about the buddy system, we need each other. We're not soloists. We're choristers. It's not optional. North of Atlanta, about... Uh, about 70 miles, uh, there is Tacoa, Georgia, a little town. But those of you who've read Stephen Ambrose's book, Band of Brothers, or seen, seen the Steven Spielberg miniseries, 
band of brothers. It starts in Tacoa, Georgia. But there they, the Easy Company, called Easy Company, is readying to be paratroopers for World War II. And every day they had to run up and down the mountain, three miles up, three miles back. And the name of the mountain is Kurahi. It's a Cherokee word, Kurahi. And the Cherokee word translated means we stand together alone or we stand alone together. You hear the juxtaposition in that? You hear the paradox in that? We stand alone together. Well, you know that. You've lived that. I wish we didn't have to live it so much during this year, God's 500th year of another garage sale. But we do. You'll be called on that it'll feel like you stand alone this week, but you don't. Call any of these people sitting here and they will stand with you. I know that when times get tough, you don't want to start where you are, but you do start where you are and go from there. And then when you take that one step, like even coming to church today, you're on the road to Christian discipleship. Huh. Some of you didn't even know you were Christian disciples. But you know what? You're here today, which means you already are. Amen.
on the night of Jesus' suffering and death, he took bread. And he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance. Thank you. 